It's blazing hot outside. You get in your car to turn on the AC to get cold air pumping, but it blows hot air out. This issue is commonly caused by low refrigerant due to leaks in the AC system. You want an easy, all-in-one solution that will restore the cold air in no time. AC Pro Recharge Kits. Make restoring cold air easy for even those with zero DIY experience in less than 10 minutes. Save time and money versus going to a shop by picking up an AC Pro Recharge Kit today. Be a pro with AC Pro. I sort of like to think of this statue as a, as a symbol of, uh, of sports and sportsmanship and uh, the great freedom of opportunity that this uh, country offers. And uh, uh, this is a great country, and uh, this gave me a great opportunity. Welcome to the Cardinals Insider Podcast. It is an off-season edition of the program. I don't know if I was really exceptionally clear about that, and the line between off-season and regular season is uh, a little different than most years with it having been a pandemic year, but uh, we are in the off-season now, assuredly, with the World Series over, and that means that we get to delve into some stuff that maybe is a little more featurey here on the program, and for that today, we welcome in Brian Finch from the St. Louis Cardinals Hall of Fame and Museum. And the topic today is one that Brian and I always enjoy talking about, and I think that you'll enjoy a lot too, and it coincides well with Stan Musial's 100th birthday, which will be on the 21st of this month, and also Veterans Day, which of course is November 11th this week as you listen to this. And that is the the service of Stan Musial, his service to his country uh, in the year 1945. Brian, welcome to the show. Glad to, to have you on today to talk about this. My pleasure. This is actually one of my favorite topics to discuss. Um, Stan, of course, the greatest Cardinal of all time, and um, always a pleasure to speak about him, but specifically about this one year in 1945 when he served our country. Um, I have a personal connection, which we may get into a little bit later with this uh, specific period of his life, but um, this was a a time for him that uh, he learned a lot it actually had a great impact on his personal life and his baseball career. And I think it's a period that um, doesn't get discussed enough. So uh, glad to talk about it now. So baseball definitely intersects with the world events in the 1940s, more maybe than any other decade in its history. And baseball, of course, pretty tangled up in our culture and our nation's history anyway. But just to, to catch people up, maybe if you're not a World War II buff, obviously Hitler making moves in Europe in the late 1930s, the United States not entering the war at that point. It was pretty much something that was just happening on the other side of the world. And then all of a sudden on December 7th, 1941, one of the Axis powers, the, the Empire of Japan, one of Hitler's allies, strikes Pearl Harbor on a Sunday morning and the U.S. is drawn into the conflict. And that begins a strange period for Major League Baseball. Starting in 1942, a lot of the game's stars are off away serving their country in another career as they are serving in the armed services. And for some of them, they would miss the 42, 43, 44, and 45 seasons. Stan Musial consistently filling out his draft information. His card simply just wasn't pulled until toward the end of the war effort in 1945, the Cardinals had their best season ever in 1942 as a franchise, besting the Dodgers for the National League pennant. The Dodgers, the Bums, win 104 games, and they still can't match up with the Cardinals, who won 106 on the way to the uh, the pennant and eventually the World Series. 
And in 44, it's a crosstown trolley car world series between the Browns and the Cardinals, Stan Musial almost uh, hitting for a cycle in one of those games. So it was a prosperous era for the Cardinals. Eventually Stan is drafted into service. And that is what happens in 1945 as he joins the United States Navy, Brian. Uh, pick it up there. Just uh, Stan is drafted. And where does he go at that point? Well, great recap there. And thank you for doing that. So Stan was drafted into the service uh, shortly after the 1944 World Series. And as we can see now in hindsight, that 44 World Series was actually the best World Series performance of Musial's career. He was an outstanding player, we know, but a regular season player. And uh, in the Fall Classic, so many teams focused on him in particular as the star, you know, the big bat in the lineup. Um, He didn't have quite the success that he normally did in his regular season campaigns, but in 44, he really did. And uh, as you noted in game four of the 44 World Series, uh, he came up uh, a triple shy of the cycle, had a chance to get it in his last at bat in that game. And of course, playing at Sportsman's Park there with the deep um, kind of center field gaps, uh, he actually grounded out to second base, as I recall from research, but um, still was a great game for him in a great series. But uh, as we look back to that, uh, you know, the, the after the season, the off season in 44, um, his second child, uh, Geraldine, was born in December of 1944. Musial had already passed his physical exam, um, his examination in June of 44. And so everything was falling into place for him to go into uh, military service. Stan actually said, I was really relieved to go into service when my Denora draft board finally called in January of 1945. And Denora, of course, being Denora, Pennsylvania, where he was from, and your draft board was always, um, you know, where you were from originally, your, your, uh, your, your birthplace or where you called home. So he reported for uh, service on January 23rd, 1945. And at this point, um, his employer, the St. Louis Cardinals, would have been notified that uh, he would not be uh, reporting to work for them anymore. And of course, the Cardinals knew that they would be missing him for the 1945 season. Jerry O'Brien was the officer that swore him in, and he actually would be an athletic officer, or as Stan called him, a CO, his commanding officer. And um, Musial and O'Brien would have a unique um, and interesting relationship uh, during Musial's time in the Navy. And so uh, Musial said, I chose the Navy. I was sent to Bainbridge, Maryland for basic training, and he was assigned to the Bainbridge Naval Training Center there. And so he ultimately would report there by March 17th, 1945. The Associated Press followed a number of the more notable names that would go into military service in World War II. And they reported good news for Bainbridge Naval Training Center baseball fans as the appearance of Stan Musial, former St. Louis Cardinal slugger, who reported as the Commodores on their first outdoor workout of the season today. So they had a baseball team at the Bainbridge Naval Training Center and their mascot or their nickname uh, was the Commodores, the Bainbridge Commodores. And so Stan would play um, a handful of games there in Bainbridge, five or six games. And Jerry O'Brien uh, was the coach. And again, that athletic training officer. So even though- Brian, you, just, to, go ahead. just to kind of jump in, um, 
you know, I think people might hear that and go, really, a, you know, a world war is going on and they're, they've got a baseball team. Um, but this is kind of akin to, to what you would hear about with entertainers being sent all across the, the two theaters to entertain the troops that, you know, Stan's one of his primary functions while he was in the Navy was basically to serve as entertainment for the other sailors. Absolutely. And we're going to talk about this more, uh, particularly as Stan would get out of basic training and, and move across, you know, to his ultimate destination, which would be Pearl Harbor. But um, the Navy and, and other, you know, arms of the service as well, particularly the Army, used these, you know, athletes that came into their, their areas of service as opportunities, so to speak, you know, not only as recruiting elements, to get other, you know, primarily men to, you know, sign up to be in the service, but also as an opportunity to help those that were in the service to um, relax a little bit. And so we see this as Stan would get over to Pearl Harbor, that, uh, you know, the best athletes who were in the service, uh, they were asked to play ball or to, you know, host camps or do things like that, because so many of the, the service men and women that were in, they needed a break too. They needed a respite. They needed some way to take their minds off the, the horrors and the atrocities of war that they had been experiencing. So when they were coming back in um, from the Pacific theater or over in Europe or whatever the case might be, you know what? Guess who was there and guess who was hosting a hitting clinic or a fielding clinic or a pitching clinic or whatever. It was, you know, these major leaguers. That's not to say that all major leaguers did that. Um, there are several major leaguers that were right in combat. And, um, you know, a few of those in particular, we think back to uh, Ted Williams, uh, Bob Feller. Uh, Feller uh, enlisted in the Navy, I believe, in December of 1941. Um, the day after, I think that was on December 8th, he served as a gun captain on the USS Alabama. He missed four seasons. And uh, he, he really felt this calling following you know, the bombing of Pearl Harbor. And that's not to say that's a discredit to mutual service here. Um, but that was just something that Feller felt strongly about. So with Musial, Musial had signed up, you know, on his draft card. He was by no means a draft dodger. Um, but his service was a little bit more typical of most major leaguers where they were drafted into the service and they um, did what, um, you know, the Navy or the Army or Marines or whatever it asked them to do. So uh, when Musial got in, he did, you know, do his basic training. Uh, one thing that were uh, that was kind of interesting for him, as part of his basic training, he had to, you know, we already talked about his physical exam, but also uh, he said, upon arrival, a merciless barber skinned my head like a grape. A photographer took my picture, and the barber said apologetically, "Why did you tell me who you were? I wouldn't have cut it so short." I ran my head over the fine head of fuzz he left me and said lamely, "Thanks." But now I know how a guy feels when he's going to be put to the electric chair. <laughs> so there is this funny little back and forth between Musial and the barber. And the barber's going, why didn't you tell me you're like somebody notable? Um, so anyway, it's just uh, something about that where, uh, you know, the barber wished he'd known a little bit more. But uh, Stan didn't want any special privileges. He didn't want any special treatment, even though the Navy did want him to be the athlete that he was. He was a star athlete, even though at this point he'd only been in the big leagues for um, three full seasons. 
I think that's such a, a window just into Stan, you know, who he is. And I never had the, the pleasure to meet him while he was still alive. And you, you did, Brian. But, um, you know, just everybody that you talk to just says that what you would hear publicly, that he was a gentleman's gentleman and a humble man. And you wouldn't know who he was unless you already knew who he was, essentially. And that's a great anecdote just to show. I mean, even in this this situation that you think about, um, this star ball player, one of the greatest ever to play the game, so if anybody's got reason to to think a lot of themselves or to want special privilege, you know, it would be a guy like Stan Musial, but uh, but there he is, and he doesn't want to be treated any different than anybody else who is is contributing to the collective war effort. I think that that's a really kind of neat window into who this person is uh, in the zenith of his baseball career, but still just humble as the day is long. I agree, and this was Stan at a young age, so it's not, you know, that humility didn't come you know, well after the fact later in life when he'd already accomplished so much and, you know, didn't need anything. I mean, this was, this was stand through and through. And so I, I think that's a great point you make. Um, we talked about Jerry O'Brien, the officer that signed him in, his athletic officer and commanding officer. One thing that happens pretty quickly while he's at Bainbridge, and again, he only played, uh, according to his biography, five or six games at Bainbridge before he shipped out. Said another thing that happened here, Musial was put at first base. Lieutenant Jerry O'Brien, his athletic officer, put him there. Musial was amused. O'Brien was not. Even though Musial had developed a reputation as a good defensive outfielder for the Cardinals. Um, Get out of there, Musial. He fumed two days later. You're terrible. You'll never make anybody's team at first base. Hmm. It's a pretty fascinating little quip there. Uh, from Lieutenant Jerry O'Brien, because of course Musil would come back to the Cardinals in 1946. He would return as an outfielder, but a few years later, he would begin playing first base for the Cardinals. And of course, Stan would have over 1,000 games in the outfield as a major leaguer and 1,000 games as a first baseman. So um, this is one of the first big uh, career-altering moments that Stan had from his brief time in the Navy, one year in the Navy, where he gets a chance to play a new position, and that's first base. Doesn't mean he'd never played first base before in his life. Of course, Stan started as a pitcher, and uh, he really, you know, is known as an outfielder and a hitter. But uh, I always found found this fascinating that uh, it was his time in the Navy where um, they put him at first base, and later he starts playing more first base uh, as he gets to, to you know, Pearl Harbor. So let's start uh, jumping over there and we can talk a little bit more about his Navy service. It, um, it changed his, you know, his changed his defensive kind of profile being in the service, but I think you're probably about to go here, but it also changed the way that he offensively approached the game. Um, I, I don't know the number off the top of my head. You probably do, but I think something like 475 career home runs for Stan Musial, something like that. Um, knocking on the door of 500 and I think there's some people that look at the 45 season and go, well, if he didn't, if he had the 45 season, maybe he hits 500. And let's just be clear that 500 home runs in the 40s, 50s, and 60s is a way different deal than the present age that we live in. I mean, that would be a, a much bigger number today than the way that just the game is. Um, but but I think really it, you could make the argument, and, and I want you to tell us a little bit more about why, Brian, that um, his his year of service in 45 may have led him to a higher home run total because of some changes he made to his swing. Well, you're absolutely right. And uh, one of the things about Stan, so let's jump ahead here for a second, and we're going to come right back to that point. 
So Musial completed his training at Bainbridge on April 9th, 1945. And after that boot camp, uh, he was assigned to a special services unit and then sent to Hawaii, so that'd be Pearl Harbor, uh, by way of Treasure Island in San Francisco. And when he was sent out to Pearl Harbor, uh, he was sent there with about 10 other big leaguers, including among these others, Bob Sheffing and uh, Cookie Lavaghetto, so a couple of other names. Um, when he was in Pearl Harbor, he was then part of what was called an SRU, a ship repair unit. Of course, Pearl Harbor, um, you referenced earlier, obviously it's, it's place in history is because of it being bombed, you know, that got us into World War II, <laughs> excuse me, but it was the outpost, the westernmost outpost um, at that time by the United States. It wasn't quite a state at this point. And so this is where the destroyers, the ships um, would come in in the Pacific um, Ocean that were kind of patrolling out there. So this whole concept of being part of a ship repair unit, most of the the Navy crews out there were doing something, you know, as part of the Navy fleets that were coming into Pearl Harbor. So while Stan was part of the ship repair unit, he didn't work on any ships. And that will be uh, a note at the very end of his uh, Navy career that we'll, we'll hit on at the end of this podcast. But um, as he went out there, uh, he did two things. He was asked to play baseball and he was put on something called a Liberty launch. When these large destroyers, I mean, the big ships that would come into port, um, they had to dock. They didn't just pull up to a, a dock. They, they had to dock out um, away from, you know, you didn't just get off the boat, so to speak. And so Stan ran what was called a Liberty launch. And that was a smaller boat that would go out and just go back and forth from the dock, so to speak to get loads of servicemen off these destroyers and bring them to dock uh, so that they could get off the boat for a day or two at a time or to get supplies or things like that. Well, he had run these Liberty launches for several hours a day, uh, four to six hours a day. And then he was asked to play baseball for the rest of the day, whether it was doing games or running practices or doing these hitting clinics that I you know, referenced earlier. Well, Stan wanted to be the very best at everything he did. And he uh, was struggling with this for um, really, uh, I guess, several weeks, you know, or actually a, a, over a month or two. And finally, he went to his uh, commanding officer out there and said, look, um, I can't be the best player you want me to be after I'm getting beat up, you know, running the Liberty launch for for four to six hours every morning, you know, fighting the waves and fighting, you know, the ocean effectively by running the Liberty launch. So I'm happy to run the Liberty launch and I'll do it all day long, or I'm happy to do baseball and I'll do it all day long, but just please put me on one or the other, because I can't, I can't be the best at the Liberty launch. If you want me to be the best at baseball and I can't be the best at baseball, if you want me to be the best at Liberty launch, because when he was doing Liberty launch, he had, you know, other, servicemen's life in his hands and when he was doing baseball he had a lot of people looking at him to you know hit long balls and all that kind of stuff so the navy thought about it and they said we want you to be the best baseball player and here's why when he was playing baseball at pearl harbor they actually had a small stadium that could hold um, as much as ten thousand servicemen and women in hawaii 
and they would pack this stadium to see him play and these other major leaguers that were out there. In fact, they had a league, an 18 league, made up of mostly major leaguers that had been sent to Pearl Harbor. And this league was so popular amongst the, uh, the Navy men and women that were out there serving that um, it was such a, a point of recreation and relief that, uh, you know, the Navy thought it was so important that he play because it took the minds of all these folks that had been serving on these destroyers out in the Pacific, seeing the, the horrors of war that they wanted them to get their minds off of what they had been doing, stuck on these boats for, you know, weeks and months at a time that they wanted them to get off the boat and they wanted them to think about baseball for a little bit. This field was called Furlong Field. So Stan focused on baseball. Now, back to this point about hitting and 475 home runs in his major league career. Stan recognized pretty quickly that what did the servicemen and women want to see? They wanted to see home runs. And what he could do, two things uh, that really made an impact on his major league career. He recognized that he could step a little closer to the plate uh, in the batter's box. And by doing so, that helped him pull the ball. And when he pulled the ball, he had more power down the right field line. This would be a critical change in his batting stance. And if you look at his stats that, um, you know, from when he was a major leaguer before 1945 and after 1945, you'll see a change in his major league home run totals um, and that they grow. So if we look at um, before 1945, the most uh, home runs he ever hit was 13 in 1943. In 1946, you already see him jump to 16. In 1947, it goes to 19. In 1948, it jumps to 39, 36, 28, 32. He never hits less than um, really 13 again until his final year in 1963. So this was a significant change for Stan, and it happened because of his time during the Navy. Number two, we already referenced him playing first base. Well, guess what? He was playing multiple games a day at Pearl Harbor, again, to help um, you know, his, his fellow servicemen and women get a relief uh, and a break from what they were doing on these ships. And so um, how do you save his legs as an outfielder? You put him at first base. So he began playing more first base so that he could be on the field longer. So he's adjusted his batting stance so he could hit more home runs. And they've got him at first base so he can be on the field longer. These are two very significant changes. To this bigger point then about 475 home runs, um, it's one of the only things that I've ever known Stan and his family, uh, but specifically Stan to get pretty uh, adamant about. You would hear some, you know, analysts or even historians or fans talk about, well, if Stan had that one year back, you know, he'd have 500 home runs. Well, when we look at the numbers and then we know the backstory, Stan would never have come close to 500 home runs or even 475 had he not been in the Navy and had this revelation about adjusting his stance, right? So, um, and Stan was so proud of his Navy service. To his very last days, um, on this earth, he was still uh, working at his office in De Pere at Stan the Man Incorporated. 
for all the awards and accolades he won throughout his life, there was one award that he kept on his desk and it was called the Lone Sailor Award. It was about 20 inches tall. It was a bronze uh, maquette or a little mini bronze statue. And it was given by the, the USS um, Navy Memorial, uh, I think around the early 2000s to him. And they give it every year to a former sailor, a former Navy service man or woman who has gone on to great uh, acclaim after their time in the Navy. And Stan was given this award. And he always kept that on his desk. And I thought that was really meaningful because for all of the awards and things he had received for being Stan Musial, that was the thing that he kept on his desk, um, not, not anything else. And so it just shows how proud he was of his time in the Navy and, and how meaningful it was to him. And I don't think he'd ever trade that for anything else. So just a little bit about that there. So Stan, uh, Stan is serving there at Pearl Harbor in that capacity, playing for his fellow sailors, the men and women serving their country. The war comes to an end in Europe first, and then on September 2nd, 1945, ironically, aboard the USS Missouri, the Empire of Japan surrenders and World War II officially comes to an end, and Musial comes back stateside and doesn't skip a beat in 1946 in his return, does he, Brian, as the Cardinals uh, end up defeating the Boston Red Sox in the World Series that year? No, he didn't. Uh, he had a stellar year for the Cardinals in 1946. He led the National League in batting average with 365, excuse me, 365. He led the NL in batting average, 365. Uh, he also led in hits with 228, runs with 124, at-bats, 624, doubles. 50, triples, 20, slugging percentage, 587, OPS with a 1.021, and total bases, 366. Uh, he also had 16 home runs and 103 RBIs. And, of course, with a stat line like that, he was named the National League's most viable player. So he had just an incredible year in 1946. Uh, we should mention he was honorably discharged on March 15th, 1946. Um, he's got a fun story uh, on how he got back, you know, leading into that 1946 season. Uh, first of all, we, we should mention that in the fall of 45, his father fell seriously ill back home in Denora, Pennsylvania, and Stan was granted emergency leave through the Red Cross to visit home. And it took him so long to get back home, he thought he wasn't going to see his father um, again before his father uh, would ultimately pass away. However, when he finally got there, his father was recovering. So he's able to see his dad for a few days. And then um, he went back, you know, uh, on assignment and he was assigned to um, the, the Naval Service Station at Philadelphia, actually the port there. And uh, with the port there, they, they knew a little bit about him, but uh, as far as they were concerned, he was part of a ship repair unit. And um, in Philadelphia at the port, they said, well, you're part of an SRU, so um, we've got a, let's see here, we've got a British destroyer we're going to take apart, and, um, you know, in the next day or so, you're going to get to work. And so Stan noticed that there are other servicemen already at work wearing goggles and heavy gloves and carrying blow torches. 
so Stan walked around and saw what they were doing. And he went over to the athletic officer and, and said, sir, I'm a ship repair man who has never repaired a ship. For my sake in the navies, can't you please have my orders changed? <laughs> and ultimately they did. Um, so uh, within uh, several weeks there, about six or eight weeks, it sounds like uh, he got the unexpectedly good news for him that he would be out in time to play in the 1946 season. That's when he was uh, honorably discharged, March 15th, 1946. And uh, so that was uh, the first part of this fun story. And then the second part was, it was taking so long for servicemen to get to their, um, you know, their residencies, their, their, their homes, that uh, he and a couple of other uh, servicemen decided they thought they could hitchhike down the Pennsylvania Turnpike faster than he could get a bus ride home. So uh, they decided to hitchhike and two elderly men in an old car stopped to pick him up. And he whispered to the other sailor he was with, uh, gosh, I don't know whether we should get in with these old guys. It might take us forever to get back home. And then when we got in, he said, these old fellows buzzed along about 80 miles an hour. They were two nice gentlemen, members of the Pennsylvania legislature. And when they asked our names and he told them his, Stan Usual, they drove me right, they drove me right up to my doorstep in Denora. Um, and he said, I don't believe any returning servicemen, even the truly deserving ones, could have gotten any more pleasant red carpet treatment. So uh, kind of a fun little um, ending to the story there of his uh, you know, time in the Navy. But uh, Stan was sure proud of that and uh, such a neat story. A few little nuggets as well. Uh, Stan resurrected his pitching career while he was in the Navy very briefly. Uh, he pitched against an Army All-Star team and um, gave up only four hits in a game in Maui in August of 45. And uh, according to some very uh, scant statistics from his time as part of that Navy All-Star team, he batted 380 for them. So he um, was really doing very well. And uh, of course, we see that as he was getting right back into it. When we mentioned that March 15th uh, discharge date, he did report to that 46 um, spring training late with the Cardinals. He was able to go home and see his family for a couple, uh, about a week or so, as I understand it. And then he was able to um, report to Cardinal Spring Training a little bit late, obviously, but uh, was, was part of the roster on opening day. And of course, the rest is history, as we say. An interesting chapter, a unique chapter in Cardinals history. Stan, as you mentioned, very proud of his military service. We as an organization, very proud of, uh, of that chapter of his story and of the franchise's story. He's one of many Cardinals that did serve uh, during World War II. Um, Brian, it's, it's always fun. Great to have you. Thanks for the great insight. And you guys have just some fantastic uh, exhibits about Stan. And I know some of those uh, artifacts rotate in and out. Tell us a little bit about uh, what folks can see of Stan Musial at the Cardinals Hall of Fame Museum. And, uh, and what's the, the situation right now for coming down to the museum? If folks, you know, they have family or whatnot in town for the holidays, they want to come down to Ballpark Village and walk them around. Uh, what's, what's the situation if folks want to, uh, to come see the museum in the next couple of months? Well, great questions, and it'll take me a, a couple of minutes to work through all these, but um, let me end with this with Stan. There's a couple of connections here to his Navy service, and then we'll, you know, answer the second part with what we have on display, um, and then we'll answer uh, how people can interact with the museum now. Um, 
to wrap up his Navy service, which I think is always pretty compelling, um, two, two little nuggets. You know, one of these is um, about a Cardinals uh, fan favorite that I think people appreciate. One of them is a personal note. Um, first of all, one of Stan's teammates on that Navy team was a man named John Hernandez. And uh, he would have a connection to a player that many fans that are listening now will know. Uh, he would later have a son named Keith. Keith was drafted by the Cardinals, and that is the Keith Hernandez. And so Keith remembers getting to go to the dugout, particularly in San Francisco, because that's where he grew up. And he met Stan Musial. And um, it was his father who was a Navy teammate on that baseball team out in Pearl Harbor. Um, so John Hernandez and Stan Musial were teammates. And uh, what a neat connection. And so when we talk about Keith Hernandez, and while Keith is a broadcaster for the Mets, uh, he sure has an affinity and appreciation for the Cardinals. And of course, he was a great player for us and a big part of that 1982 World Championship team. Um, on a personal note, for me, uh, my grandmother was um, part of the first class of waves. She was one of the first women enlisted in the Navy in World War II. And that's where she met my grandfather. And they fell in love and got married uh, in the Navy. They didn't have much money. So their, their you know, wedding garb, uh, her wedding dress was her Navy dress whites. And my grandfather got married in his dress blues but they were stationed in Pearl Harbor in 1945. And so a neat family memory for us um, and connection is that they got to see Stan Musial play at Furlong Field at Pearl Harbor. So uh, that's always something that I hold near and dear. And that's kind of one of my neat uh, Cardinals connections is that my grandparents got to see Stan play during this time that we're talking about. Um, in terms of things that we have, uh, you know, related to Stan, Stan is the only player uh, in the Cardinals that we have a permanent exhibition area in the Cardinals Museum about. I should mention related to his Cardinals, I'm sorry, related to his Navy uh, service, we do have, these aren't on permanent display, but we do have Stan's Navy all-star cap. We have his dog tag and we have his Navy pea coat. So these are things that we are also proud of. We have a few other items too, such as his blue jacket manual, that's the service manual or guide. It's a, a small book and um, a plaque that was given to him in 1945 from the Pearl Harbor Navy Yard Ship Repair Unit. And there are a few other items as well, such as certificates of appreciation and recruiting documents as well. Uh, but those are things that we are very proud of to have in our collection and that we um, want to preserve for generations and decades to come. In terms of items that are on display, we always have as MVP awards, trophy balls, um, silver sets, game use bats, and things like that. And guests that always visit the museum have an opportunity to hold an authentic game use bat of Stan Musials in our holding history area. In terms of where we stand right now, in terms of being open, unfortunately, um, as of November 2020, uh, the museum is closed to the public, but we are open for museum members. So any member uh, currently can schedule an exclusive visit through our membership portal. You can find that online at cardinals.com membership. If you would like to schedule an exclusive membership um, visit, you can do that by purchasing a membership and you can do that at cardinals.com membership. So um, it's very simple to do that. Our memberships are reasonably priced and uh, every one of those gets that benefit to schedule an exclusive uh, membership visit. And there are times where you can just have the, the museum all to yourself. So it's a great way to visit and uh, enjoy Cardinals history right now. 
And I can definitely vouch for that. You know, as employees, we get sometimes we're we might be walking around in off hours, and uh, it is neat to take in that museum when there's not other folks around. It's great no matter what, but uh, I would really encourage people if they're thinking about it, take take the jump there. That is something you will not regret getting to see that museum. Take your time, really digest it all, and uh, and do it at your leisure. So, um, yes, yeah, so again, you said cardinals.com/slash/membership the place for folks to check that out. Brian, thanks so much for your time. Uh, happy Veterans Day to all those who are veterans. We appreciate your service and your your sacrifice for our country. And Brian, we appreciate your time talking about the greatest Cardinal and uh, his 1945 season. Unique, but storied all the same. Thank you for the opportunity to share about this. And I wanna say that as well. Thank you to all of our veterans out there. I'm the proud son of a veteran already mentioned about my grandparents. Um, I'm sure happy to and proud to call my dad. And uh, when my grandparents were still around, I, it was an honor and a privilege to call them every year on Veterans Day and thank them. Um, if you know veterans, please take the time to call them and thank them and let them know um, that you're appreciative for the service that they provided to our country. Brett, thanks for the opportunity. Have a great day. Hey, you bet. We'll talk to you next time, Brian. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey.